back to Ramblin' Writers, the Park Life Communications podcast where we discuss our work writing for some of the world's coolest companies and leaders, as well as topics that inspire us as creatives. I'm Suzette Feller, host and producer of the show, and in a minute I'll be joined by my co-host, Brian Castle. We also have a special guest joining us today. But before we get into all that, a quick note. We recorded this before COVID-19 began to take hold over so much of our lives, and as a result, there may be some references in our conversation that seem questionable. Rest assured that we are now social distancing and isolating appropriately in real time. We really hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. All right, now let's get into the show. Welcome back to Ramblin' Writers, episode two. Bit of a miracle that we made it back for a second episode, considering all that the two of us have had on our plates recently, but I'm very glad to be back here and recording and getting to just talk about the things we're passionate about. So welcome back, Brian. It is good to be back. What's been going on with you lately? Oh man, just working hard, you know, kind of, kind of adjusting to this whole adulthood thing, you know, Putting off my taxes, um, the regular stuff. What about you? Well, so yeah, that um, is an unspoken rule of adulthood: is that you you uh, put off your taxes. That's perhaps the biggest indicator that you are no longer a child. So that's cool. I um, I'm kind of excited. I've got a new beginning lately, as you're aware of. You know, being um, new in Charlotte. Over the last year, um, I decided to quit primarily working from home and join a co-working spot. And I've been real impressed with it. It's very new, just opened a couple months ago. I'm actually one of the initial vanguard of members. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I'd love to see that if I ever do make it down to Charlotte. So today we're going to talk about company culture and thought leadership, which are two topics that are increasingly important to our work and two topics that I think more and more of our clients want to get involved with. Yeah, no, I um, uh, you've picked a couple of good things there and one of them, company culture, well, actually both of them, <laughs> but um, company culture especially uh, is something that ties into our special guest today, um, Kevin Jones, my adult lifelong friend um, from 20-plus years who now uh, is leading uh, one of the more exciting financial technology startups out there, Solero Commerce. We have the great honor and blessing of working with every day. And um, it's going to be interesting to explore some of those topics around company culture with him. Um, well, let's, let's first, uh, obviously, um, we, you and I do like to kind of nerd out on what we get to write about. And uh, we've talked before about how fun it is now have our own space to put our thoughts out there, especially in reflection of the work we're able to do uh, and, and the people we're doing it with. And so let's start off, you know, um, maybe on the subject of, of thought leadership, which is um, what I wrote about. The title of your article is Thought Leadership, It's Not for Everyone. And I could see how upon first glance that might give some people pause. It might sound a a bit exclusive or even elitist, but I know that as you elaborate on that, it starts to make a lot of sense. So do you want to explain more what you mean by that title, that it's not for everyone? Well, sure. You know, as you were alluding to in your, your intro of the, topics. The the term thought leadership, I, I've actually been working in this space for about 11 years, and it's, it's something you didn't hear about a whole lot 11 years ago. There was thought leadership then, 
But, you know, things change once they become mainstream. And oftentimes when things go mainstream, they're not as cool, right? Like music <laughs> and movies and things like that. Um, they seem to lose their edge. Or in this case, they lose their meaning. And I'm a big proponent, even though I work in marketing where we spin the crap out of stuff sometimes, I'm a big proponent of words actually meaning things and helping our clients especially say things they mean no matter what we're doing for them. And so thought leadership is is, is basically using the tools probably traditionally associated with PR, public speaking, uh, writing an op-ed for your local newspaper, um, using those, those are tools, right? So just because you write an article or give a speech, you're not a thought leader. There's an underlying foundation there that I think as this conversation's gone more mainstream, we're starting to lose. And I view myself as, as wanting to be almost a protector in this space to protect the meaning and, and really to something else we've talked about. We actually talked about it on the last podcast is to keep our people. I can't worry about how everybody else markets themselves, but our people will be authentic, period. And so with thought leadership, that means taking those tools, which have really it's the digital age has brought so many more tools to play, like with social media and blogs and, you know, being able to stream video uh, or even listen to a podcast um, where hopefully all the people out there with podcasts actually know what they're talking about. Wouldn't that be nice? So, <laughs> so, but there's, there's this off, there's the piece, you know, there's a word called leadership in there. And then there is thought leadership. So if you break that down, you need to be, in order to be a thought leader, that's different from being a leader. A leader just means people are following you. That could mean you set a sales goal of $500,000 and you motivated a team to hit that goal. That doesn't make you a thought leader. A thought leader means you really are studying your, you know, your lane, your profession, and you're trying to advance it and you're trying to stay on the leading edge. And there are thought leaders in virtually every profession. You know, there are people really trying to advance the nonprofit world, you know, with creative fundraising ideas, with ways to be more missional, like the whole recity concept we were talking about during our little catch-up segment. You know, I, I view Rob Shields at Recity as a nonprofit thought leader, not because he has a podcast or blogs or any of the other stuff that I've personally helped him with, and now he has other awesome people doing that. Rob's a thought leader because he's putting in the actual work in the analog world to change the game even a little bit and to bring other people along with it. So that means doing the day-to-day -day work and using those tools that I've been talking about. And so you can be Rob Shields, but if you're not sharing what you do, you're not a thought leader, you know? So... That's what I was getting at. And in any group of people, this is fairly true in almost every walk of life, personal, professional. It can be like a, a, a your government legislative body. It can be your homeowners association, your company. It can be anything. About 10 to 20% of the people step up and lead. It's just this natural phenomenon in humanity where 10 to 20% step up and lead and the rest follow. And that doesn't make the followers 
crappy, you know? Like all of us, even those of us who think of ourselves as leaders or thought leaders in a given context, we're followers and lots of others. Like you don't see like there's some people who are big business leaders, but at their church, they don't lead anything. They just want to kind of be fed spiritually. And I think there's a lot of value in both sides of that. There's a lot of value that especially companies derive from the 80 to 90% of people who are followers, because it's often followers who are doing the grunt work, who are doing the production side of things, getting stuff out and into the world. Whereas the leaders contribute a whole lot by setting the tone for that production and, um, and the strategy. So it's two very important, I would argue equally important roles. They're just different. That's right. That's right. And, and, and that should, and I'm saying this loud into the general public, all five of them that listen to our podcast right now, because <laughs> it's early days. Hi mom. <laughs> I'm saying, okay, that, should give you pause. Like if you don't think you're actually, if you have the stuff or the metal to be a thought leader, it's okay for you to not be, you know, like leave that work to somebody else and and you just be good at what you do. And maybe there's another piece of your life besides your business, you know, your role where you're going to be that person. But it does seem like the natural progression, and I know this from working in the thought leadership space specific to healthcare, it's about 10%. And if you think about, like, basically all the doctors who do, and they're, they're typically at, at leading academic institutions that couple as medical centers and teaching hospitals like a Duke or a UNC or a Vanderbilt or an Emory or a Johns Hopkins. These folks in these contexts, they do a lot of stuff besides practice medicine. They get to treat a lot of patients, but not nearly as many as somebody that just has their standalone medical clinic. So like a cardiologist at Duke, for example, might actually make less money than somebody who is out there treating heart, doing nothing but treating heart patients. But that person at Duke has chosen a different path. And I'm not saying the other folks are just motivated by money. They're there to treat people. But then there's other people who are like, okay, I want to treat some people. I want to do research. I want to teach I want to mentor recent graduates. I want to mentor young doctors who want to go into my specialty. Okay, I'm telling you, all these people, whether they're the woman who's got the really successful standalone clinic or the woman who's got the the teaching and all that at Duke, they're both doing great things for the world. One is focusing on making a lot of people better. The other person is making sure that that other person who's making a lot of people better has their whole scientific space pushed as far, new drugs, new surgical techniques as applicable to the specialty. And that exponent of training the next generation. Ramblin' Writers is brought to you by Park Life Communications. Meet your new marketing team. From copywriting to thought leadership and strategy, we deliver marketing services that help you grow your brand. Visit parklifecom.com to learn more. That's P-A-R-K-L-I-F-E-C-O-M-M.com. So out, out of all the things we've written about uh, since we relaunched the site back in the fall, One of my absolute favorite things is what you wrote about company culture. 
um, and its importance in, in the business world. Um, and, you know, in that piece, Suzette, you explored some really cool concepts and you used two of my favorite examples. I, I would say pretty much all of our clients have really interesting cultures to a, to a person and to a company. They're all, they're all the kind of people you want to root for, which I think is emblematic of them dedicating at least some of their time to building the right kind of culture. Um, I, you know, I think of somebody like Trip Holmes, who's a solo entrepreneur at this point, but he is so tightly knit with his partners that he works with on a lot of transactions in the M&A world. Um, he's created a culture among partners, and we're going to have him on the podcast at some point. And I want to talk to him about that because it's so unorthodox and unlike anything I've ever seen, really. And I, I think it's, and he will tell us about how he's climbed the mountain several times with several, several different models for his boutique, but that this model he's doing right now is as effective as it's ever been. And you chose two of what I would like to think of as the more advanced cultures that we've seen in the small to mid-sized space that we typically operate in. One is a, is a company that's about 50 years old, and one is about a year and a half old. And so I want to talk first with you about health keepers. Um, what a special group of people. Um, can you share with our audience what you've learned about their culture, why it's unique, and why they should never shut up about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with a little bit of background. So HealthKeepers is a fairly mission-based organization that provides home health care to the people of rural North Carolina, where there's a very large and troubling disparity in healthcare access. There's just not a whole lot of doctors or nurses, other healthcare professionals in these areas. So what HealthKeepers is doing is really, really important work. And they do a lot of work with Medicaid programs like um, the Community Alternatives Program so that their services are more accessible to people who can't afford most home health care services. So they're doing really, really important work. And they also weave their faith, which is the Christian faith, into a lot of what they do. And so coming into this, I am somebody who could count on one finger how many times I've been to church besides weddings and funerals. I mean, I am not a very religion-oriented person. I don't have anything against religion. I think it has a lot of value to a lot of the people that I love. And, um, and I have a lot of admiration for people who go to church because I think it's a really unique and awesome feeling of community. It's, it's just like a really special place and it's a, a nice, quiet, calm place, which I appreciate a lot too. But that being said, I'm just coming into this someone who is such a, such an outsider in the world of Christianity and religion in general. And even so I quickly developed, um, such an appreciation for how health keepers weaves their faith into their work, because I think what they do and what makes their company culture so special is they really embody the core values of Jesus Christ, which are admirable to anybody. I think whether you're in the Christian faith or not, I mean, um, you know, helping out those who are less fortunate, um, working to create a world that's more just and giving a voice to the voiceless, all of these things 
transcend religion as qualities that are, that are just really beautiful and to see them in a company, to see them embodied in a for-profit company is really cool. And it's, it's really unusual too. I haven't really come across a company that operates quite like health keepers in my experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think what's, what struck me about health keepers and what made me want to write about them was just how, how much I admired them and how passionate I am to do work for them, even despite being someone who's pretty agnostic myself. Um, so, so they're just a really cool, unique company and everybody who works there is really, really kind and they treat their employees with the same respect and compassion as they treat all of their patients, the people they serve. So it's a company that really eats their own dog food, as they say. <laughs> yeah. So one thing you, you ought to know, and they came along as a client just a few months before you joined us. And um, you started working on the account probably within a year after them joining us, a few months after you did. So when I first met the CEO, Tim Brooks, who is the son of the founder, uh, Howard Brooks, who's an amazing man, um, you know, they're based in um, Pembroke, uh, Robeson County, the heart of Lumbee Nation. Uh, Howard Brooks um, is an amazing man, incredibly humble. I- I've been honored to meet him. Uh, Tim is a chip off of that incredible block. Um, they're so profoundly humble and the way they live these values that we're talking about. In addition to those you listed, just being kind and caring and humble in everything they do. They really walk that walk. There's an incredible generosity of spirit. They're, they're, what they've chosen to do is so hard. Like they've chosen, and Tim's told me this. He said, you know, there's a lot easier ways to make money in healthcare than driving out to all these remote places and meeting people in their homes. Like that's why people build buildings and make you come to them, right? Like there's a lot of things about this model that don't make as much sense, frankly, until you know the heart of this company. I'm really glad you picked them to spotlight, too. Um, It also shows your work for them, shows that you can write about professional baseball, even if you never played it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the things that makes you a great copywriter and great content creator is when you can very quickly become educated enough on some topic to write about it with authority. Even if you have zero real experience in the topic, you have to be able to do your research fast and capture the spirit of the company fast. And that's, that's one of the things that is a challenge in my job, but it's a fun challenge. And it's a challenge that I think I tend to conquer pretty well. I'd say so too. And I, and I think it's, it's an amazing creative challenge. Um, cause we don't work in any of the spaces we write about. Yeah. You know? So we have to, what I try to do live by, and I don't really articulate this, but I'm doing it right now is you got to do it justice, you know, and that requires a lot more than just reading about something and then mailing in some copy about it. When you really try to capture that essence. Um, So let's talk about those new kids on the block, uh, Solero Commerce. I'm so excited. We're going to have Kevin Jones, founder, CEO, and friend uh, on the podcast in a few minutes. So tell me, as you were writing this piece, what you saw as some of the similarities to a to an older, more traditional industry focused company versus this new, fast, much more 
fast moving and excited world of financial technology. Um, what did you see as some of the similarities and uh, maybe some of the differences? All right. So I'll start by addressing some of the differences because they are very different companies in a lot of ways, even though we love them both and they're both very unique in their own spaces. But Solero operates in a very different space. They operate in this fast paced, highly competitive world of financial technology. And what's cool about Solero is that they manage to be very down to earth very friendly and easy to work with, even despite that, because I know that for me, um, before we started working with Solero, my image of the finance world was somewhat stuffy and very corporate, um, the opposite of down to earth basically. And then we started working with the folks at Solero and I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. And one thing that Solero does so well is they really um, capture the competitive spirit of the fintech world in a healthy and positive way. Because I think that a lot of people and a lot of the employees at Solero, they get into fintech partially because they like that sense of competition. Um, I can tell a lot of them have a lot of fun with that, with meeting different targets, meeting their KPIs, pushing fellow employees to do even better through competition. And they, and, and a huge part of Solero's culture is high performance. They really emphasize high performance, taking ownership of what you do and, doing it as well as you possibly can. And it's still, and even though that could sound like a very high pressure, maybe stressful work environment, we hear time and time again from those who work at Solero that they love coming to work, that sometimes it doesn't even feel like work, that it's so much fun and, and such a, an open, friendly environment. And so I think that Solero's company culture is really unique because they strike such a good balance between pushing their employees, emphasizing performance and taking advantage of the competitive spirit that a lot of their employees have while also creating an environment that's very supportive and has a strong sense of teamwork and shared ownership and where everybody just has each other's backs. So they manage to, perform really well as a company and be a leader in their space um, while not, you know, pushing their employees to the brink of sanity, you know? So that's really cool about them. And one similarity that I do see between Solero and HealthKeepers is that both companies emphasize humility and respect a whole lot. It's very rare that you will hear the leaders of either of these companies, that you'll hear Kevin Jones or Tim Brooks um, taking responsibility for any success in their companies. I mean, the, the leadership teams at both companies are extremely humble and really shy away from, from taking responsibility for their own success because they emphasize so much giving credit to all of the people under them who do so much important work. Um, and, and that, that sense of humility and respect goes beyond the leadership teams as well. It goes beyond the C-suite. It's really everybody at these companies who's so humble and respectful. And there's also a sense at both companies that it's not just the people at the top who help shape culture and make these companies a great place. It's a joint effort that everybody contributes to. I think that's true at HealthKeepers and at Solero that um, everyone from the newest hire to the founder of the company plays an important role in the work that they do every day. And there's no, you'll never hear anybody at Solero or HealthKeepers saying something like, oh, that's beneath my pay grade, or even, oh, that's above my pay grade. It's really like everybody is willing to help out on any kind of project. 
This podcast is brought to you by Park Life Communications, your one-stop shop for marketing content and strategy. Since 2009, we have helped numerous small and mid-sized businesses grow through high-quality copy and content. Visit parklifecom.com to learn more. Well, welcome back to Ramblin' Writers. We're now being joined by a special guest, Mr. Kevin Jones. Kevin is the CEO of Solero Commerce and also a longtime friend of Brian's. Welcome to the podcast, young Kevin. How are you? Very well, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a it's a it's a deep and distinct honor to have you. You know, we just lost this thing uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and it was a big goal of mine to have a major star uh, appear on the podcast. And now that we're accomplishing that with episode two, I think we're going to shut it down after this one. So we'll make sure that we go out with a bang with this last episode. That sounds good. I'm pretty excited about that as well, Brian. And I'd like to know who's on after me, who's the star. <laughs> so thanks for coming on. We, uh, we've been talking a lot before you got here um, about some things that drive us creatively and the kind of work that we enjoy doing. And we've had some pretty amazing opportunities with you at Solero, you and your team to do a lot of thought leadership pieces. Um, And one of the big areas we focus on with you is on company culture. Um, I think just knowing you as long as I have a couple decades, culture, my perception of your relationship with culture is like plants and water or people and oxygen. I think it's elemental. I think it's part of your DNA. But I don't think people are born that way necessarily. I don't think we pop out of the womb talking about company culture and how to make people better. Uh, and get the most out of people. Where did that journey start for you? I think it really started, honestly, when you and I started working together um, at Central Carolina Bank. I I think that, um, you know, we were very young at the time and, you know, lacked depth and experience. But I think we leaned on each other as a team to try to find our way to, to excellence. And we didn't have some of the tools in our uh, quill that I think would have been nice to have at that point in our careers. So none of us, I think, thought we were the smartest person in the room, and therefore we leaned on each other to make decisions based on all of our different perspectives. And it really showed me at an early age how empowering you know the entire team to make decisions uh, both made people feel valuable and secondarily helped facilitate great decision-making that helped us be successful as a team. So um, I'd say it's really started then. Well, it's funny because I can remember those days like they happened yesterday. I think that's what it's like during the fun times of your life. You have some unforgettable moments. And I can even remember what the day-to-day felt like back then and um, how much fun we had. Um, If you ask me, like, what were the things that marked our – early forays into culture there 20 years ago. It was fun. We took our work very seriously, but didn't take each other seriously or ourselves. There seemed to be this pushing down of individual egos to do what was good for the team. And I think above all of that, like a mountain above all that was how it was all about the person in front of you. Like, you know, if, if you were the regional manager like you were, and that person in front of you was me as an employee or me as one of your managers or somebody else, the focus was not about, was not on at least at first about what you needed. It was about what that other person needed. And did somebody treat you that way? Was there an early mentor or leader that you saw that in, uh, that you said, that's the way to treat people? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, of course, there are people that have that influence on you. And for me, I look back and I think like mentors come in different forms. I think some mentors we never meet, but we just see them and, and respect the way they treat others. Some are very instrumental, you know, in the day to day of our lives. And for me, I think, um, you know, first off, uh, everybody from my mom to, uh, really my uncle Dwight specifically, and then my football coach in high school, you know, really gave me confidence, probably at a tough point in my life. Um, showed me that there was potential and, and leadership capabilities. And I think uh, having someone believe in you and value you can bring out empowers, I guess, us to reach our potential. So I think those people were super important. Um, and then as I got into my work career, certainly, uh, you know, some of the mentors that I had at the bank, like David Caldwell, um, yeah. who I think, you know, Hey, we're, we're 25, 26 year old kids. And, but we had a lot of potential and we were working, very hard. And I think to place people like us into positions like branch managers and regional managers, because we took our jobs so seriously and we're affecting good outcomes. It's looking back a little bit of a bold move. And, uh, but I think that that being said, it was a move that reflected well on him because as you stated, we took our jobs super seriously and worked really hard. Um, and we, we got the desired outcomes and we got them in a way that we could be proud of. You know, we, as you said, we had a healthy disrespect for tenure um, and we had a very healthy respect for performance. And that's something that's uh, uh, continued through my entire career. It's funny, funny you bring up that last point, because now, now that I'm an old fart, um, I still enjoy recognizing that huge reservoir of potential. But I the things I marvel at, the people I marvel at the most uh, like we've got a client, uh, Suzette and I do, um, who's an investment banker uh, in Raleigh. And this guy's been doing this thing for 35 years, just crushing it. Um, worked for the old Wachovia for a few years. Took that knowledge he built up as a commercial banker, moved into uh, business brokerage, M&A for family businesses, Um the end user that's really in your wheelhouse now. And working with this guy, he finds ways to keep it fresh and innovate, do different things over time. I just marvel at that. Somebody with that kind of longevity, you know, shows up, you know, like it's all brand new again every day. I think you've run into a little bit of that at Solero, haven't you, as far as, some of these companies you've been bringing together. Um, and, you know, you and I have experienced mergers ourselves on both ends. Um, it's been really cool to see that, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, yeah, I think age is irrelevant. You know, I think um, people make the assumption that people that have been in this industry or any industry for a really long time have become stale, but that's absolutely not the case. I mean, I think it's a decision we have to make every day. And it is environmental as well, but it is, you know, to kind of make the point through these mergers and acquisitions, we've obviously acquired some team members that have been doing what they've been doing for 20, 25 plus years. And it is definitely interesting to see how much mindset and approach uh, influences outcome uh, where we have some people that have been doing the same thing 20 years and just absolutely refuse to evolve. And on the flip side, we have some of our most, uh, directions and and ideas are coming from people that have also been doing what they've been doing 20 to 25 years. And it goes back to a topic you and I've spent time on with Suzette is, is the day one philosophy is just being able to walk into your business and challenge yourself, you know, maybe annually or whatever to look at as if you're coming into the business fresh for the first time and what decisions would you make to make the business excellent. And Regardless of how good a business is, if we walk into a business for the first time, there are always changes that we recognize that can help influence the business to do better. And I think um, challenging ourselves to set aside kind of the uh, the legacy pride of authorship that may go into or the emotional connection to certain things and look at the business fresh is one of the things that helps people consistently reinvent themselves and reinvent their ability to 
continually affect positive change in the business. So you said something earlier about how we were young when we were doing all of our first ventures into creating a culture. Like I can remember all the branches had these cool names. You know, like I managed the dog pound. Like this was a bank. Everybody wore suits. And it was, you know, it was, it, we were trying to shape shift something that was about as old and traditional and stuck up as, as we could. And doing stuff like that, everybody had little nicknames. It was really funny. I can probably remember everybody's nickname. Um, And then just bringing in people. I can remember some of the people you let me hire. They were so raw. Like just, I remember this uh, kid named Walt that, we hired. I think he went to UNCG. He was from from there, from around there. Nobody would have hired that guy, you know, for a bank job at the time. And Walt came in, and you know, we we equipped him and empowered him, and he was crushing it within a few weeks. You know, it was just neat the kind of tools we were using back then to help people see how they belonged to something and how if they could latch on to a few tools and things. So when you, when you said that a few minutes ago, I was curious what the flip side of that, what you meant was like, what do you feel like culture creators like yourself, culture carriers, you know, like Chloe, Abigail, um, Kyle, Jonathan, all, all these great people we're meeting. What, what do you think they have at their disposal now that makes this even more fun and even better? People like that feed off each other. I mean, one of the things that we do know is you can't create a great culture regardless of what a great culture leader you are if you don't hire the right people. So, I mean, people are just so important. Um, people that have energy, the ability to energize others, um, people that see the bright side, people that are creative, people that challenge you. So I think um, creating a great culture starts with the day that you put your team together. And obviously, I think at Solero, we've been really focused on from the very beginning on uh, bringing in and uh, cultivating and enhancing the roles of those that reflect that, you know, reflect those core values that we're trying to drive in our culture. And obviously when that happens, then, they're, they're feeding off of each other. They're helping each other grow, and, and uh, it takes on a, a life of its own. It seems like the way you're trying to uh, attract talent is almost a culture-first model. Um, Suzette and I, I see Suzette nodding her head. I just definitely get the same perception of Solero that a lot of the Um, like attracting talent is very much focused on company culture because you all have a company culture that I think is pretty unique among finance, financial companies and tech companies. And so I think it's, I don't know. I think it's pretty unique to everything I've seen because like, I know a lot of my friends who are just getting out of school and they're, they want to work in something finance related or something tech related. It's often all about the pay and while Solero does offer competitive pay, I feel like you all don't necessarily lead with that because what's probably even more important to someone who's looking at possible jobs is just that Solero has such a positive, uplifting kind of workplace. I've heard from a few people that they don't really feel like they're going to work when they go into Solero. It's a very fun and light kind of place to work. Although not easy, it's also very performance driven, but I could see how when you're attracting talent, that would be maybe more important even than what you're getting paid or what kind of benefits you're receiving. Yeah, we've certainly seen that not only here, but in my last company that you having the right culture commands a certain level of um, loyalty that you know, kind of goes beyond pay and compensation, but 
the great thing about it is we typically see strong culture carriers promoted several times within, you know, a journey. So, you know, the thing we do want to have a culture that people look forward to coming to work, but it also is a culture that, you know, we also realize that you know, good friendships do form occasionally um, as a result of a great culture. Uh, but we're not fooled into believing that great cultures are a result of friendships in the office because a core part of our culture is performance-based, of course. And we also realize that people may enjoy coming to work. They may like being there, but if they're not challenged in a meaningful way to reach their potential, they're eventually going to feel like they're rotting and move on. And so a, a, a huge part of our culture is challenging people to reach their potential. And, you know, while we wanted to be a comfortable place to work and a place that's energetic and exciting, we also realize that people that are looking for a job probably don't like our culture. People that are looking for a career love our culture because we're challenging them every day. I mean, Chloe, Abigail, et cetera, they would tell you, I mean, they're challenged, they're pushed. Um, we expect excellence. We expect people to strive for excellence. And people that want that and want to grow from that um, really love being a part of our company. How do you strike that balance between pushing your employees to do better and to perform, but doing so in a healthy kind of way that doesn't feel like too much pressure? And then on the other hand, balancing that with making Solero a fun place to be and a place that people look forward to going into. How do you sort of balance those two things? So first of all, I think there is sometimes too much pressure. So I think it's really a culture for high achievers um, that actually enjoy that pressure. Um, so it's hard to strike the balance of like not a lot of pressure. I think uh, we look at it like a coach. I mean, if you see like a coach of a, of a great basketball team, you know, some of them have good cultures in the locker room and some of them don't, but they're all pushing their team to be better. So we look at it the same way. You know, we're coaching our team, but our first goal is performance. And our first goal is to help every one of our team members reach their potential. The secondary to that, we do that with a respectful, I think, humble, empowering approach, but with the end goal still of high level performance. And, you know, by all means, we, we promote, reward, um, empower, and pay uh, those employees that are performing the best more. So, you know, we're definitely not one of these companies that's out there saying, hey, everybody gets paid equally regardless of your performance. Um, we're paying people to perform. And uh, the people that do are rewarded the most. It's funny. It's funny as you're talking about this, I'm reminded of a story that I told Suzette about three months ago. So this goes back again to looking at all the openings at the company. And she was telling me that she had a friend uh, from UNC didn't quite meet the, the requirements of the job that were listed, but somebody that had the potential and uh, might've been a little bit of an out of the box hire for you guys on paper. And she said, what kind of advice would you give somebody looking at a position at Solera? And I, I said, well, just thinking back to my time working with Kevin and performing within the culture that we put together together. I said, the, I said, yeah, it's fun. It's cool. It's all that I said, but it's, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. You can't, I, I said pretty much every other job I've ever had, there were places to hide. <laughs> there were days where, Day, days where you came in and you just had a bad attitude and felt like screwing off doesn't happen there. Um, I said, it can be intense. I said, but the flip side of that is there's always somebody there to pick you up, to challenge you, to help you work through the human causes of why you feel that way. You know, if you're not, I would imagine Kevin, now, if you had somebody that was kind of unhappy at work, you noticed it, one of your managers noticed it, and it turned out they were 
doing things like missing a lot of their children's milestones, missing a recital or a play or a ball game. And nobody had ever equipped them with, hey, go to that ball game and then get your butt back to work and you'll be more productive, you know, and get the job done because you'll be happier. Um, that kind of balance. Um, is, is that true in my perception now as somebody at an arm's length from the company? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, our overall philosophy about individuals on our team is that we split our duties into buckets of ownership. And, you know, regardless of level, um, everybody is valued. I mean, everybody's very valuable in our organization. We don't have a lot of fat. So when people come to work, what they do matters, but they do have a bucket of ownership. And what we really look at is what's the performance of that bucket of ownership. So we're not necessarily looking to see what time someone walks through the door as much as we're looking to see, are they taking care of that bucket of ownership in a way that at the end of the day, I mean, we are here mostly for our merchants and partners. I mean, that's number one and number two. So we have great you know, partnerships uh, with major financial institutions around the United States that are counting on us to add value to their product suite, to bring more business to the table. So, you know, number one, we're consistently trying to drive more value to them. And then through that to our merchant customers. And if someone's not taking care of that bucket of ownership, uh, obviously that creates a major problem. But whether someone's here, it's kind of like going to the gym and working out. You know, there are people that sit there for two hours at the gym and socialize and don't really get a workout. There are other people that go for an hour and get an unbelievable workout. We're really looking for people to get that workout in. We're not necessarily managing um, the the exact uh, time they're showing up or leaving. So uh, as long as they're servicing our customers well. Well, one thing I've noticed about Solero is that because everybody is valued there, everybody really contributes to the culture there. And I'm curious to know how you as an executive, you know, Solero is very much not a place where the executive sets the tone for the entire company. It's really a place where everybody sets the tone together. But how do you as an executive help contribute to that? Because I, I would imagine that there might be more pressure as the CEO to contribute more to company culture. So how do you do that and make sure that it sort of trickles down to everybody and, and just help set the tone for everybody, even though obviously in the end, it's a group effort. I mean, I think culture is super intentional. So, you know, we always talk about intentionality. You have to own your direction with culture. Um, so I think, you know, the, the contribution I have is, you know, helping set the core values and then demonstrating them through the company and being sure that our leadership demonstrates them. So I think if you lay them out, expect the leaders to put them into practice and set the standard. Um, and then be very genuine with the culture that you're setting. I can't emulate someone else's culture because it's not really me. Everybody has different lines that they're comfortable with. And so I think what we look for is like with myself and our leadership team, you know, what are the core values that we care about? And then ensure that we demonstrate those through the entire leadership team. And if that occurs, you know, it becomes very natural for the balance of the team to, you know, demonstrate those. Then they become way more powerful. But the other thing with our culture is we don't, I certainly don't think I'm the smartest person in our company. So I think facilitating great ideas is more of my job than coming up with them or, you know, making the decisions. So I think facilitating great decisions is the job of leadership, but understanding that, any person within your organization could have the best idea, the most innovative idea, the game changing idea, or the idea just to work through obstacles. And so we just work really hard to empower every person on our team to, I mean, I tell Chloe all the time, you know, I was like, if I invite you to a meeting, you know, that's an invitation for you to say anything you want to anyone you want, because you know, she, she has great ideas. Abigail has great ideas. Like you said, Kyle has great ideas. So they sit in a lot of executive meetings and we want them to be fully empowered regardless of title to facilitate good decisions. And um, I think over time that empowers people to think in a different way and own the business in a different way. And I think at the end of the day, the two biggest drivers of a good culture are, are being pushed and being valued. And if those two things are there, people are usually 
can sustain and be a part of the company for a long time. So we're talking a lot about how you have to act in a values driven way. We're talking a lot about individual employees and how, you know, they're feeling a part of something bigger than themselves. They're being pushed. They're, they're being, uh, really developed to their full potential. I know the word develop is big with you. Um, I know you're trying to be empathetic to each person in the organization, but work, having worked in finance for over a decade myself and working like you, working in organizations where there are a lot of cool people, a lot of great performers across the organization and inspiring CEOs, brilliant people. And then they had this super douchey, multi-level middle management, like people who got that first or even second promotion and then just settled into mediocrity. How do you prevent that? Because it seems like those folks traditionally don't have the same level of individual like KPIs, performance metrics. They, they hide behind the, talking about people that hide in an organization. They're, they're better able to hide. Um, and they're also guilty of rolling shit downhill, you know, where the guy in your position, for example, says, we're not hitting these numbers and I've identified this place. What are we going to do about it? And instead of them coming up with solutions, they just roll it downhill. (laughs) And how are you, how are you changing the game and eliminating kind of the douchey fat of corporate America? Yeah. So typically in that situation, they end up getting fired. And I say that genuinely because the way we typically approach a situation like that is take a super humble approach to that at first and ensure that someone like that understands the thesis, what we're trying to accomplish. You know, so we, we serve them and we're very humble about ensuring that they understand first, that they understand and don't you know, represent our core values pretty quickly. We let them go, period. And the reason for that is, you know, we hold our leaders more accountable than anyone because if someone moves into that role, then the organization they have below them is really looking to them to pull, you know, because we're a push-pull organization. What I mean by that is, you know, we look at those relationships like mentor-mentoree relationships. And if we're trying to hire people consistently that push us to be better. So if I hire Chloe and Abigail and Kyle and, and the people, some of the people you've worked with and know, and they're trying to grow really quickly and they are growing really quickly, they're pushing me to stay ahead, right? Pushing me to be better. Same time, I have to work to stay crisp and stay innovative so that I pull them along. If we push and pull each other along, then we're both growing. That makes for a really great company. But if we get a middle manager, which is, you're absolutely right where, where it happens. That's middle management's the most important thing to execute upon the direction of the company. But if we're trying to say we over communicate, but I'm over communicating in the middle management, they're not over communicating to their teams. Then there's some loss in translation there. If they're trying to serve their own agendas versus the agenda of the company, et cetera. So we hold those, we hold that group the most accountable because they've got to be servant leaders and, if that group doesn't feel like their number one customer is their employee, then we have trouble because we've got to be sure that we're cultivating, we're given the tools and training, we're listening and we're helping that group grow because that's where in a typical organization, you have 20% of your organization that are high performers, you know, 10% that are low performers and the balance is in the middle. And if that person isn't really being a servant leader to help that bottom group up, and that middle group up, then, you know, we're not going to have the overall culture and we're not going to be able to service our customers the way we want. So when you're talking about the servant leadership, um, you probably saw this. It it came from a a video series we've done with Abigail Lucier, who's a uh, project manager at Solero. 
uh, a real culture carrier that you and I don't imagine anybody's breathed the same oxygen that she has identified as kind of a natural leader and somebody who's coupling that with the initiative to really grow in the organization. She's told us, and then we've helped her communicate this, this concept of the selfless leader and how they need to be concerned. Like you just said, their number one customer has got to be that employee. Um, the underlying things, I want you to talk a little bit. I don't ever get tired of hearing you talk about this. The underlying values of the selfless leader are two things. Um, respect and humility. Can you walk our listeners through how those values have been kind of your dual lightning rod? Um, I think it's how you identify greatness in people. I think it's also where you try to see that potential where, you know, somebody really exhibits those things to you. You want to do everything you can for them. And if they don't, you want to do everything you can to show them where the door is. Um, walk us through a little bit about your, your philosophy on that. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, bringing up Abigail is a good example of this. I'll give you a, a story from last week. The CEO of one of our SaaS companies um, called Abigail last week and said, hey, I really need help with these three things. And she, of course, knocked them out. And then um, he called her a bit later and said, hey, I'm really sorry because I feel like those three tasks were you know, below your title. And you know, her response to that was like, no, 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 I'll do anything at any time to help our customers and help our company be successful. And you know, that was just a demonstration of, and she even looked at me like, I can't believe he called me. I mean, of course she thought it was kind of him and thoughtful of him. And he is you know, a good leader like that. But the fact that she just thought it was crazy because in her mind, you know, we're all here to do whatever we can to help the company grow and, and to help our customers succeed. And uh, just having that mentality of nothing is, you know, below us or above us, you know, that all of us are here to do the job. I mean, we're all, every person in our company, whether it's me or Jeff, um, we're happy to, you know, screw the bolts in on the chairs that we're buying or go get coffee for our team or we just don't think like that. And that's one of the beauties of our team culture is, you know, nothing's below any of us. We're willing to do what it takes. And I think having humility and respect, you know, first of all, respect is just a, it's a, honestly a ticket to the game, Solera. You know, if people don't have respect for each other or our customers or partners or investors, like they're not going to last, period. Because that's just a, a gift we can give people that um, is free and simple. Now, don't get me wrong. If they lose our respect, that's another problem, right? But we try to treat all people with respect. And frankly, kind of coming up at the elevator with uh, a potential hire is one of the more telling things in an interview at Solero is how they treat people, you know, regardless of rank or socioeconomic status or where their role is going up that elevator. You know, if that, if that level of respect isn't there, we know it's not going to be a fit. And humility, I think is, is, is the same thing. It's, uh, regardless of successes that we have in life. I mean, everybody has a little bit of an ego. I'm not going to hide from that, but it's challenging ourselves not to. It's not that we don't have something like that, but challenging ourselves to, you know, ensure humility because um, I just feel that we can lead others better and that we can also serve our customers much better if we come from a place of humility. And those two things work in tandem to um, really eliminate any sense of entitlement. I mean, I don't think you can be entitled and humble and respectful. So if you are, you know, it just eliminates it. And I think entering a role you know, being thankful and grateful for the opportunities that we have enables us to do a better job. So it also, frankly, enables people to be happier. You know, if you if you find the happiest people in life, regardless of how much money they're making or what they're doing day to day, if they're grateful people and humble and respectful people, they're pretty happy. So I think it's great recipe for success, both personally and professionally. All right. Well, uh, go with God, my man. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. It was really great to have you. And we hope you'll come back someday. Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. This is awesome. Have a good day, man.
Ramblin' Writers is produced by me, Suzette Feller, and co-hosted by me and Brian Castle. This show is part of the Park Life Communications Podcast Network. To learn more about what we do, visit our website at parklifecom.com. You can also learn more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a future episode.